Well, here we are. Finally, the Monday after UFC 196. It's in the books, and this is the Monday Morning Analyst. Thank you, everyone, for watching. My name is Luke Thomas, and uh, I'm so excited about this podcast today. It is a, a lot to get to and a lot of fun we're going to have, and, and I'm very, very... Uh, I just can't wait to get it going, so let's do that. Three parts to this podcast, an overlook at the card, an overview of the card, I should say. Second part, we'll look a little bit more of some technique on some film, discuss a little bit more, and then the third part uh, coming up about what's ahead. So, let's start this off with a couple of announcements. Number one, I'm going to look at just McGregor versus Aldo in today's podcast, but here's the good news. Don't downvote, don't get angry. I'm going to put another one out tomorrow, right on time. It'll be out in the morning, a Tuesday morning analyst looking at home versus Tate. Wanted to do two separate ones. Didn't want to make a huge one and everything get lost. Rather break it up so you guys can absorb and debate what I have to say in this one. And then you can do that some more. You can tell me I'm right. You can tell me I'm wrong. You can tell me I'm terrible. But you're going to do it in two separate occasions. So this is going to be just Aldo McGregor and the rest of the card. And then tomorrow will be just Holm versus Tate because it, they both deserve their, you know, those ladies deserve their own podcast and so do the guys. So um, that's what we're going to do. Now, I'm going to talk about the rest of the card today uh, and then. Um, and then uh, we'll get to look at some film and talk about McGregor as well. So, UFC 196. Uh, and by the way, let me just say something real quickly. Folks were asking me, are you going to talk about Darian Caldwell defeating Joe Warren? You need to go back and you need to watch this real quickly because Darian Caldwell was amazing. There is a suplex he hits where as he throws it, he gets rotation 90-degree rotation in the middle of it with a full turn. Like He comes all the way back to his base. It is it is phenomenal what he did to Joe Warren, and you must go watch it. You can check it out for free on Spike's website. I cannot encourage you more to go do it. You know, we all complained about the fact that Kimbo versus Dada five thousand and Hoist and Ken never had any good fights on the card. I mean, Emmanuel Sanchez looked okay, and I'm not here to defend that at all. In fact, I was a vociferous critic of that. But I just want to say, if you care about good fighters in Bellator, like if you're one of those guys who's like, I want to see the good fighters, you owe it to yourself to go watch Darian Caldwell look like a beast against Joe Warren. What a special, special fighter he is. Now, that out of the way, uh, make sure you give us a thumbs up, share this video. Let's talk about UFC 196. So UFC 196, I'm going to pull up the information here, took place at the MGM Grand Garden Arena, of course, on Saturday. The attendance, 14,898 for a total gate of 8.1 million. That is a very, very nice gate. That is a very, very nice gate. Uh, Not a sellout, but they didn't matter because the tickets they sold were ridiculous. Um, Okay. In the main event, Nate Diaz defeated Conor McGregor via rear naked choke at 412 of the second round. We're going to talk more about that um, in the second half. Uh, Misha Tate defeating Holly Holm via technical submission rear naked choke at 330 of the, of the fifth round. We're going to talk about that too. Don't worry. Let's get to some of the other uh, fights on the card, and then we'll move on along here pretty quickly. Ilir Latifi defeating Gian Vellante, 30-27, 30-27, 30-27. doing just enough, throwing a big shot, clinching, had a really nice suplex, different than Darian Caldwell's, because he, Darian Caldwell got his with both of them having flat feet and just launched into it. That is very different than Ilir Latifi. Now he's doing it at a much heavier weight class. But those guys were in motion, in motion, and then he launches it. He's using backwards momentum um, to help facilitate the throw. But nevertheless, uh, you know, Jean Vellante, again, I think his offense has really improved. 
but his defense to me is still a bit sketchy. Um, he's much more fluid with the stand-up. He was doing a lot of the stalking, but by the second and third round, he was really kind of offensively hesitant, and Elilatifi, while minimal with his attacks, was doing just enough and kept moving so that Volante could never really get things going. So good job by him. Corey Anderson defeated Tom Lawler, 30-27, 30-27, 29-28. This is a bit of a travesty. I scored the fight 29-28 for Anderson. I don't know on what planet where he wins that first round. That, to me, seems outrageous, but such is life. Uh, but again, Lawler having a really good job. Once he could get Anderson's back along the fence, he was able to really tee off and be the proactive guy and really own that pocket space. But as Anderson was able to jab and move, stick and move, stick and move, stick and move, and then be unpredictable um, and throwing in leg kicks, he had a really nice chopping inside leg kick. He was able to do a lot more and, of course, take the fight. Deserved winner, not 30-27. Uh, Amanda Nunes defeating Valentina Shevchenko, 29-28, 29-27, 29-27. This was a weird fight for me. Shevchenko looked really good in the third. She clearly took that round. And in the first round, she just was waiting to counter way too much. She just was not offensively active. It was just kind of crazy. I don't know what she was thinking exactly. I think she was expecting Nunes to come out and charge and blitz like she normally did. And she was much more patient. I will say, you know, Nunes talked about the fact that getting to the third round was really important for her. Nunes, whatever you want to call her. And that's that's true. But when she fades in that third round, boy, she fades hard. Amanda Nunes is only as good as her cardio. And that's true for everyone, but her cardio routinely fails her. Routinely. If you're fighting her, there's something to be said for being patient, but not so patient that you're like Shevchenko and you can't really get anything going early. C.R. Bahadur Zara defeating Brandon Thatch on the preliminary Fox Sports 1 card via arm triangle 411 of the third round. You know, Bahadur Zara uh, was kind of wild. This guy has been had a lot of struggles. I know he was even here in D.C. looking for a camp to train as early as a year ago. He finally figured it out over at Greg Jackson's, and you can see that his paid dividends for him. You know, still a little bit wild, but good hand speed. Uh, but Brandon Thatch, what do you want to say about him? I think he's been submitted, what now, three times in a row, once by a guy who was a former lightweight king. Um, I don't know what his problem is exactly. You know, I think all of them were by choke, too, if I'm not mistaken, right? Different kinds of chokes, but all by choke. Yeah, rear naked choke, rear naked choke, arm triangle. You know that's a tough. That's a tough thing for him. Uh, unfortunately, um, I'm not sure what else to say about him. I don't think the UFC is going to cut him necessarily, although they would certainly be within their right. Um, he didn't fight like a guy who I thought was really um, fighting for his job. They seem to be not lackadaisical exactly, but just not the same kind of urgency. I was glad to see he wasn't switching stances a lot like he did against Gunnar Nelson. I mean, he was doing a little bit of it, of course, but. Not a lot. I think that's good. It was it was it was trying to home in on his game plan and, and and get rid of some of the extraneous details he hasn't mastered yet. But he's got he's got some issues to work on, unfortunately. Nordin Taleb defeating Eric Silva with a forehead punch, one thirty four of the second round. Taleb's, I mean, this was a guy who I didn't think much of when he was in Bellator. He has, and I'm not saying he's a world beater now, but he has come such a long way. His offense looks so much better, and at 34 years old, this is the best he's ever been. Um, just, you know, I don't know what to say about Eric Silva. He's he's not himself anymore, and you can make speculations about why that is. But um, I just love how if you can, you know, I don't know that Taleb is ever going to be all that great, but if you can make him technical, one of these guys who who only will do techniques when he really has refined it and and mastered it and made it a part of his arsenal, and that's his worldview, and, it's a, and that's a limited arsenal, but it's every part of it is very technical. He's going to make a lot better decisions, and I think you're seeing that, and it's really paying off. Vitor Miranda, this guy's coming out of nowhere, defeating Marcelo Guimaraes 
at 109 of the second round. Really good takedown defense. He's been showing that through his entire UFC tenure. You know, much more traditional Muay Thai, but he's got a lot of weapons. He's got great head movement. He's got good defense as well, which you're going to talk about later with Conor McGregor. is a big problem for him, at least in this particular fight. Um, Gimarsh could never really get things going along the fence, could never really mount a whole lot of offense. And at space, he had no answer for Vitor Miranda, who has a lot, a lot of offensive tools to work with. That is a kid to watch out for. Look out. Vitor Miranda, he's been doing really well, but he really got my attention with this one. A very, very technical fighter who's got a lot of offensive tools standing at a lot of different ranges and plenty of cardio to help it all work. That's someone to watch. Darren Elkins defeating Chaz Skelly, 30-27, 29-27, Two guys who are, you know, these these grinding types. It's just that one guy's a little bit better than the other. I thought Skelly was going to have a little bit more for him in the defensive wrestling department, but the, the doggedness of Elkins. And Elkins does this thing where, like, he'll push you against the fence in a spot where you can handle everything. And then he'll dig an underhook. And then you'll fight it. And then he'll dig an underhook, and then he'll fight it. And then he'll dig an underhook, and then he'll fight it. And then he'll dig an underhook, and you will quit. And then when you dig, when you finish digging an underhook, then he digs the other side of the underhook, and you'll fight that. And then he'll dig the other side of the underhook, and you'll fight that. And then he'll dig the other side of the underhook, and you won't fight that. And now he has double underhooks. And once he gets that, he just begins to slowly put his offense together. He reminds me of this BJJ guy they used to call Gordo, and who would constantly play half guard and just underhook and underhook and underhook and underhook. You see these 10th Planet guys a lot of the times. You know, they need that near side underhook when they play half guard, and they will just relentlessly, relentlessly go for it. And you see that with him. And not just underhooking, of course. That's just one example of it. But you just see he does all the... And then we move into the prelim portion of the card on Fight Pass. Uh, Diego Sanchez defeating Jim Miller. Wow, who saw that coming? 29-28, 29-28, 29-28. I'm sure some of you did, but generally this was an upset. Um, A really great job by Diego Sanchez. You know what's funny, man? When Diego Sanchez was out there fighting the Joe Riggses and the Brian Gassaways of the world, I remember distinctly his reputation coming up was that he was a really technical grappler, very, very aggressive and developing his skill set. So you thought some of that wildness was just him slowly, you know, roughing out the edges. And then somewhere along the line, he just got turned into this guy who was just kind of reckless and a brawler and, you know, had some good ground skills, but didn't always use them all the time or in all the kinds of ways. I thought this was a very patient game plan from him. Uh, You know, still in some ways kind of wild with these looping hooks that he has. But on the ground, man, I'm not saying he gave Marcelo Garcia the business at all at ADCC, but you know he lasted a lot longer than I thought he was going to. I think he even attempted a Kimura at some point. Um, and uh, he's got some skills in the ground. Like, he's got some technical ability. I wish sometimes he would use it more. You know, maybe that's not what he wants for himself. Okay. But, you know, it's not true that Diego Sanchez is just some wild guy with no technique. On the feet, you know, he's not so great necessarily. But on the ground, like... Diego Sanchez got skills, man, and you saw it here. He was really able to get the takedown on Jim Miller when he needed it and pressure and keep him down and really threaten with things. It's 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 nice to kind of see that a little bit. It, it's, the, it's, the, it's the Diego Sanchez I thought we were going to see when he fought Nick Diaz and, and beat him technically, right? So something to think about. Uh, Jason Sago de- defeating Justin Salas TKO punches man this was just this was amazing um, getting Omoplata using the leg to come up ride him over um, controlling from a cradle to sit through with the arm bar you know just Jason Sago's got some real jiu-jitsu skills I want, I'm ready to see more from him uh, and then Teruto Ishihara defeating Julian Erosa at 34 seconds of the second round this was a tough out for Erosa because as he was backing up and trying to defend and counter strike he just didn't have the thump or the or the 
or the timing or the just he couldn't really get things going counter striking. And then as he comes forward, he gets clipped. You know, he just couldn't really figure it out. Backing up and counter striking, it didn't work. Being proactive and taking the fight um, first, that didn't work really for him either. And Ishihara can thump, man. He can really throw. So he's a little bit wild, but, you know, a guy with that kind of power will change the decision making of his opponents sometimes and make them make bad choices, where then, of course, he can make good choices. Uh, bonuses. Fire of the Night went to Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor. Performance Nate Diaz and Misha Tate. Uh, my fighter of the card, of course, is going to be Nate Diaz. So, again, let's do this. Let's go to the second segment. Let's look at some film. Let's talk about some of the things McGregor did. And uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to have a brand new podcast tomorrow for Misha Tate and Ollie Holm. But let's talk about Conor McGregor. Let's talk about Nate Diaz. Let's talk about what we saw. And let's look at some film. All right, so segment two here. Now, we're going to look at some film in just a second. I've got some for you. I'm actually going to show you a slow motion. It's not video. I'm going just like literally frame by frame, but in a quicker way. So you can just sort of see the motion here. What do you want to say about McGregor's striking here? Because Diaz's striking was very much hard to judge. A lot of it was very reactive. A lot of it took over when McGregor gassed. Not that it was bad. You'll see it, the, the check right hook of McGregor, excuse me, of Diaz and his jab were really constant weapons. And then once he knew he had the guy in a position where he wasn't moving as much and attacking as much, he took over immediately. So Nate Diaz, really an important competitor. But um, what, do you, what do you want to say about the striking of McGregor here? Interesting. Very interesting. Look, when you watch him, a, a few things stand out to you right away. Obviously fluid, obviously makes great reactive decisions, you know, just kind of goes with everything. You can see that he just is one of these speed chess players where he sees something, he feels it. I mean, he's got preparation, he knows technique, of course, you know, but he really just, I think he instinctually acts in a way. It's very Bruce Lee-ish um, in that sense. I'm not comparing him to the, you know, Bruce Lee directly, but Bruce Lee often believed that you should just sort of naturally flow through your offense. And I think that's what he does as well to an extent, but... There's some problems with it, you know. If you go back and you watch, and I'll talk more about this later, but McGregor is ultra-reliant on the left hand for weapons. What does the right hand of McGregor really do? You'll see there are some nice jabs to the body. There's one uh, uh, lead hand uppercut. Remember, he's right-handed forward. His 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 right hand lead uppercut uh, cracks Diaz once. It's pretty good. Most of the time, it's down parry, side parry to throw a bomb of a left. He doesn't come back and keep it up for defense at all. He doesn't really have a check hook. Like, Diaz had a real right-handed check hook. McGregor doesn't really have one, and if he does, he doesn't really use one. Um, He initiates a lot of offense from the left side. Very predictable. You'll see this later. If McGregor stands left-handed, this is my left hand right here. I'm left-handed, right? If he leans one way to the left-handed side... Every time it's an uppercut. And if he leans one way to the right-handed side, it's the overhand left. And he does this over and over and over again. For a guy who talks about people being predictable, wow. That was very predictable. You can go back and watch it on tape every single time. He leans to his right, he's throwing the overhand left. He leans to his left, he's charging in for the uppercut. Moreover, you know, I'll show you this before. There's times when he's like taking these huge leaping shots. He doesn't have a reset position. Um, and sometimes Diaz makes him pay for it. Not, not every time. But, you know, you could see someone like who's real tight with his pivoting, like Frankie Edgar, making him pay for that. Now, again, what else can you say about McGregor's left hand? It's a bomb of a left hand. Look at that side of the face of Nate Diaz. He got, he got touched up real hard. McGregor's obviously got tremendous power. But because of that power and the way he likes to flow with his offense, he just keeps waiting for the left hand to sit you down. But what happens when you don't sit down from the left hand? Now you got a problem, don't you? And that's kind of what you saw here a little bit. There's a predictability in movement, and you'll see this later too. 
it's not just that the offense is. I mean, where's where are his kicks? He those the oblique kicks. He threw one leg kick to the outside, I believe, of Nate Diaz. Yes, one. What is that? He throws. There's not a diversity of his striking weapons. Look at Tom Lawler. Tom Lawler's not half the striker Conor McGregor is, but he's got more. I should say, he makes use of that right hand. McGregor makes use of it a little bit, but it's really all about the left. If the left doesn't sit you down or the left doesn't connect, what else can you say about the striking of Conor McGregor? What else is there, at least in this fight? Not much. Not much. Now, yes, the left hand is super potent. I'm not saying otherwise. It's ridiculous. He has such tremendous power with it. But again, if you can't, if his left hand can't rock you, if his left hand doesn't sit you down, what are his right hand and his legs going to do? In this particular case, not a lot. Not a lot. You know, I, I'm sure he didn't measure the weight exactly, and he's throwing all these, like, you know, capoeira kicks and wheel kicks and everything, and none of them landed, and I'm sure he'd rethink that. So that's just the one problem. The other problem is, like, defensively, McGregor doesn't like to do this. He likes to slip punches. He likes to dodge at the trunk. He likes trunk movement, and he likes slipping. And I think, and I'll explain this later as well, my guess about that is because he likes to slip and then react immediately rather than having his hands up and being defensively you know, rather than, if you have your hands up, I'm defensively answering for you. There are There is offense off of that, but it's a lot more fluid if I can just slip off the center line and crack you. And again, don't get me wrong, he slips effectively. And with, with his right hand, his right hand does... His right hand doesn't do a lot of punching, but it does a lot of parrying. Or a lot of like, look up here, look up here, bang, and he'll fire the left. Um, and he, so he does parry shots as well a little bit. But he's not really here. He's much more here. And that's fine if you have plenty of energy. If you can duck and dodge because you're full of energy for five rounds, do you, man. But if you don't have energy, wow, that's bad. That's going to catch up with you fast. Slipping is nice. Trunk movement is nice. But if that's all your defense is, for the most part, you're going to have problems. And that's exactly what you see. The minute his motioning begins to slow down, Diaz just picks him apart. Diaz finds his range, bang, bang with the 1-2, over and over again, check right hook as both guys are circling into the power hand. You see it over and over and over again. That's... Again, I'm not saying that McGregor doesn't have this. I'm not saying McGregor doesn't have a right hand. I'm not saying McGregor doesn't have effective kicks. But he didn't in this fight. And if he did, he didn't show them. He didn't show up. He used the right hand a little bit. There are a couple of nice moments, but not enough. Everything is so left-hand dominant. And there are a couple of nice kicks. Not enough. Everything is so left-hand dominant. And when it comes to defense, if you want to slip... So you can fire afterwards and be free and, and, and not constrained? Okay, that's fine. But you better not gas. And he gassed. And he paid for it. So a lot of nice things McGregor did. A lot of bad things McGregor did. Diaz, very patient, very tough. And just knew once the guy slowed down, his... And he chips away at him the whole time. But once, once I'm telling you, once all this became kind of like this, became this, Diaz just... Took over. Now, we're going to look at some tape here. Not tape. We're going to look at some slides. But I want to make one more note. Everyone is clowning McGregor for his BJJ. And certainly you'll see in the second round that's very deserved. 
But there's an argument to be made about Conor McGregor's BJJ being better than you think it is. And there is one example in the first round, which I'm going to show you here, that you need to take seriously as the total package of his game. Yes, he's got some problems on the ground. Not quite as bad as everyone's making it out to be in certain respects. So let's watch the tape and you'll see what I'm talking about. All right, so let's let's take a look at some uh, slides. And uh, I don't have footage here exactly, but I... I wanted to show you, it's not, again, I don't have footage rights for UFC, so what I did was I, I paused on my TV and individually went basically frame by frame here for just a little bit. We talked about what happened on UFC 196. We talked about even the striking of McGregor. We talked about how he liked to, you know, in this particular case anyway, I don't want to make too much of a generalization, but how he was leaping into shots and how he was essentially, you know, a lot of, you know, throwing these huge home run left hands getting out of position that eventually cost him later. But I want to show you one little thing here. This is going to be, a, you know, again, frame by frame. This still doesn't do it justice, so I encourage you to go back. You see here 143 of the first round here. Go back and watch this particular event because what you'll see is McGregor is literally striking as he walks and continues to do so only until he has to pivot out and then restart. And then if you'll see afterwards, he does, in fact, keep walking. There's a lot of what you see here are these... Real huge overextensions with the left, kind of getting out of position. Diaz makes him pay with that check hook on the right-hand side a lot. We'll see some of those slides here in just a second. But just watch what happens here. I found this to be kind of fascinating. Again, 143 of the first round, and I apologize for moving around here. Again, these are this is not film. I'm going frame by frame here on my remote control. And and watch, he, he, he's, he just keeps moving as he's walking. He does that oblique kick, kind of pushes him back. Doesn't really bend the knee too much of Nate Diaz, although I'm sure it didn't feel awesome. And then watch, he just keeps walking. He just keeps walking forward. Like, And when you watch it in real time, it's all fluid. This is what I'm talking about with his striking and his... And his it's not that it wasn't polished or fluid, because it is. And you can see him here throwing this right. Diaz kind of blocks it here and tries to get inside. And then, and then McGregor comes over the top with the left. Uh, that's neither here nor there. It's just, to me, when you watch it in full stride, and again, I'm only showing you these numbers, so you can go back and watch it yourself with the benefit of, of real motion in real time. McGregor does a lot, not just of loading up with the left, bang over extension, but in this particular case, just walking in motion and throwing as he walks. And even when he has to stop and pivot... He's still doing a lot of the same things. I found this to be a very, you know, there's one thing to be fluid, and it's another thing to be so loose and so, you know, defensively irresponsible um, and not really properly resetting positions that, you know, there's something to rethink here about what he was doing. So let's move on. I just wanted to show you that. Go back and watch that yourself. You'll see what I'm talking about. Just striking in, in, in stride, really. Kind of bizarre. All right. So we move to the next part. Diaz, this is early in the first round now. Um, you know, we're going to go back a little bit in time here. Diaz is, as you see, sort of measuring, lifting his leg. He, and he's using push kicks and that oblique kick as well. And you see him uh, stick it out. Puts it down. Now you see McGregor is going to launch in motion here. I want you to watch the extension on this left hand that he's going to do. Uh, he's going to kick himself. Reset. Now watch. He's going to use his right hand here. To, to essentially like hand trap parry down, a down parry or a side parry. And then he comes over the top. I mean, look at that extension. Heel off the ground. All, you can draw a straight line almost from the fist um, to the back of the heel. And you can see Diaz tries to get this check hook, although this is a, almost a more a, a check stocked and slap. But I want to pay attention here. When, when he resets, look how he resets. 
hands down. Now he does kind of pivot on that. Uh, he'll take a step forward with his left, and then you know, right, the, you know, sort of get square with him a little bit. But I just want to point out something: like he's he's throwing these really long, heavy punches. It's not. It's one thing to say I'm going to go up and wait, but you really got to manage it properly. And there, you know, every left hand is so over the top. We talked about that. Like his offense really, really runs through that left hand. He does have a couple nice rights to the body. Um, he has a couple of uh, nice lead hand uppercuts, right? Because he's standing southpaw, so that right hand is the one in front. But the right hand of McGregor, it doesn't do a whole lot. Like Diaz's right hand did a lot of check hooking. Now it had to because he was sort of responding, but it's just busier. It does more. There's a jab. There's a one-two. Punches are more connected. I'm not saying that McGregor doesn't have a right hand or doesn't use it. All I can point out is what we saw in this fight. And the right hand of McGregor in this fight, it, it just is really not much more than a conduit to set up the left. You go back and you watch, I think he threw f- close to 50 or initiated 50 striking exchanges from the left side and less than 20 from the right side. Um, you know, that's interesting. He's just throwing the left constantly, constantly leading with it. And if the right is out there, it's not like he's really jabbing hard and then throwing, like really getting you to bite on something. It's either feints or or just a hand slap away. It doesn't really use the right. And again, and those are effective too. I'm just saying it's, it's so heavily disproportionate on that left hand side. It doesn't really mix it up a lot. Now we move to 348.52. You see him square up. Let's go to 349. You can't quite see it here, but you see him overextending that punch. The left hand of McGregor misses. It's coming down. And what you see here, if we had a different angle, the right side, that's when that check hook of, of Diaz begins to pay off. Okay? Just want to point that out, like, even early in that first round, you begin to see Diaz really making use of that check hook, and why? Interestingly, Diaz was circling into the power hand of McGregor, so he kind of really had to make use of that check hook to varying degrees of success, but, okay, I'm just sort of pointing out that he, he was doing it. We go to 157 here at opposing off, you can see McGregor. Pay attention to one thing on McGregor. When McGregor leans to his right, when he leans this way, he's throwing the overhand left. When he leans to his left, he's throwing the uppercut. Every time. Every time. Every single time. Leans right, overhand left. Leans left, digs that rear uppercut. So let's see what he does here. Now, this was good because you actually see him slip the, the right hook of Diaz. I think Diaz was first here in this exchange. This is a good job by McGregor, getting his head off the center line, leaning over, coming over the top, and just cracking Diaz clean. This is one of the good things he was doing early in that first round. I think we can all agree that McGregor was winning that first round. But you're going to have to pay attention to something else here. It's not merely that McGregor's offense runs so predominantly to the left. It's not merely that some of his motioning was actually kind of predictable. Leans to the left, it's uppercut. Leans to the right, it's overhand left. It's that his defense is very much all about slipping Barely any parrying and trunk movement. There's not a lot of keeping his guard up. And when he gets tired, that costs him very badly. I believe that slipping and trunk movement, when McGregor does them, he's very, very good at it. But if that's all your defense, and I'm not saying that's all his defense generally, but if that's all the defense you're going to use in a fight in this particular case, that's going to come back to haunt you. Now, it's going well for him here, but we're still very early in this fight. Uh, and this is one scenario where he gets caught with uh, that check hook leaning. Diaz sort of catches him. 
And so I just, again, I'm just sort of pointing out the right hand of Diaz was really sort of instrumental in that first first round of catching McGregor and beginning to chip away at him. This is nothing particularly amazing here. It's just Diaz catching uh, McGregor at the end of a shot that he missed, but it's that check right hook again. The right hook of of, Nick, of Nate Diaz, very, very busy. The right hand of McGregor, a little busy. Again, not worthless. Had a couple good jabs to the body, had a couple of, of lead hand uppercuts, and again, a lot of look at my right hand up here and then the left comes firing. I'm not saying it's worthless. But again, it's it's a real predominant use of that left hand in an overly exaggerated way. Now, here's when things begin to get interesting. Now, everyone's talking about McGregor's BJJ. Let's say something about this. I am not going to show. I'm, we're, and we're going to go through round two. You're going to see. You're going to see Diaz just own him here in a little bit. But I want to make a point about something. There is a case to be made that when McGregor has plenty of energy, his jiu-jitsu is just fine for what he needs. I don't know that to be 100% true, but I'm just saying you're going to see here what McGregor does right now is very high level. In the second round, not high level at all, but in the second round, he was exhausted. Now, being exhausted doesn't absolve you, particularly if being exhausted when he goes back down to 145 becomes a continuing liability, so we'll see. I just want to say something here. If all you're going to look at is what McGregor did in the second round with his jiu-jitsu, he looks bad. I mean, there's no two ways about it. He looks bad. He looks very, very bad. And Nate Diaz looks amazing. And I do think, no matter what, Nate Diaz has better jiu-jitsu than Conor McGregor by far. But it's not fair to say that McGregor is completely, uh, you know, has no real verifiable BJJ skills there. Check out what McGregor does here. Now, you see this uh, kick that Diaz catches. He's going to go for a single leg. He's going to run the pipe a little bit. And you see him step back. And McGregor goes down, he plants his right hand. All this is not that interesting. Here is what is interesting. Watch what McGregor does instantly. He's going to do something called the Kurikuri guard. C-U-R-U, C-U-R-U. I'm not sure who invented it. Uh, A bunch of solo Hiberos guys, I think, do it. Some people call it the overhand X guard, single leg X guard. Um, Now, X guard is a little bit different because you're going to see in a second you underhook the leg, you don't overhook it. What McGregor does is an overhooking, and it's the kuri-kuri guard. C-U-R-U, C-U-R-U. I'm not making it up. It's a real guard. It's actually a pretty sophisticated guard play. Not a lot of people use it exactly. Uh, it's better with the gi, actually, because you need your left hand, in this particular case, to grab the pants, which he doesn't have, although you can grab sleeves and lapels, too. But, but check this out. So right away, what's he doing? That left leg is coming inside almost like a reverse De La Hiva, or what they call an inside De La Hiva, depending on what your perspective is. And what you're going to see is look at the right hand here of McGregor. He's posting behind the elbow. He's going to lift it and then grab it like an overhook. Meanwhile, this leg is underhooking, uh, you know, is, is not underhooking exactly, but, you know, butterflying the knee. That This is going to change. All right? So now he... Puts his inside hook here. This left foot is going to go in, like literally straight up in the crotch of Nate Diaz, where like the blade of your foot is in the crotch, and then the inside of your foot is kind of on the thigh, which you're going to use to lift. So we keep going, right? Look at him doing it now. This foot is going to come on the inside, and this foot is going to continue to be behind the knee as a mechanism of control and movement and off balancing. Now look here, this is the Kurikuri guard, or it's the beginning of it anyway. Nate Diaz plants, and he's trying to punch here. McGregor has this overhook. Watch what he does. This is so interesting. You see this leg? You can see the toes of McGregor here. He's pushing on the crotch of 
of Diaz. Now, he's not kicking the crotch. He makes contact with it and then holds it. And what he's going to do is he's just going to push him right up and over. You can see when your head is below, and I'm just part of my language, your head is below your ass and your weight is going forward, you're going to go for a ride. You're going to, with the coup de coup de guard, you're going to push inside on that crotch with that overhook. Usually this left hand would be on the other side pants grip and his hips are going to come off and he's just going to push and turn. And that's it. Now, Nate Diaz tries to wrap behind the head and maybe punch with this right hand. But the other part about Nate Diaz is, remember, he's already in motion. It's one thing if one guy is like planted down and refuses to budge and you have to use the coup de coup de guard to move them. But Nate Diaz was already in motion. He doesn't take seriously the position and he pays for it. Once your hand goes down... And usually both people put both hands down. And look, you can see McGregor's hips off the ground pushing in. Y'all can say what you want about the second round. This is sophisticated guard play. Okay? That this is this this is not a lot of like uh I don't know a lot of I don't know a lot of people who use this. Especially not very effectively in an MMA fight. Sorry, I don't. Okay? You see him pushing in, hips off the ground. This this one should be behind the knee. He kind of botches that a little bit, but okay, no big deal. But once the hand goes down, you're done. If the person, I mean, if the person underneath doesn't do anything, you're not done. But if the person underneath knows what they're doing and you plant your hand on the mat, the Cody Cody guard has worked. Because now what D- McGregor can do is he can sort of, depending what what he wants to do, what kind of sweep, you can sweep to either side with a Cody Cody guard, and of course he just decides to rotate out and come up on top. And you see here, look, see that foot? The blade of the foot is kind of in the crotch. The foot here is pushing on the thigh. He's lifting you up. Again, um, there's a famous video of Eddie Bravo rolling with Marcelo Garcia. And and, and Eddie Bravo says something very interesting. He goes, I couldn't get on top of him. I couldn't pass. And then he says something very interesting. He goes, I couldn't get under him. In jiu-jitsu, you want to get underneath guys a lot. With your butterfly guard, you want to get underneath them so you can sweep to a side or take the back. With spider guards, you want to get their weight over and above you because when their weight becomes transferred over their, their you know, when you when you can put someone over your head and you're using the spider guard, they become, they, it's ass over tea kettle time and they can go over. That's what he was doing here. He's holding you so you can't move, he's planting your weight, and then he's just going to rotate on his shoulders. Basically, he's going to rotate to his left side, and he's going to come up the top. But he's pushing on the inside here. Again, this one should be hooked behind the knee for control. But remember, Nate Diaz is already in motion. He's already going, and so he gets him over and comes up on top. And you can see he tries to block inside, putting his knee to his elbow so that Diaz can't connect, but he eventually just puts his foot down and Diaz just plays open guard. Diaz eventually inverts here, and it looks like he goes for a leg lock, but um, the the bell sounds. I just want to make a point. I am not saying that this absolves Conor McGregor from the bad jiu-jitsu we're about to see in round two. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that you can't go and tell me that this guy doesn't have an idea about what he's doing on the mat. Donks who don't know what they're doing don't use this kind of X-guard. I mean, it's an overhook X-guard, single-leg X-guard. I don't know what to tell you guys. That that's sophisticated guard play. That it, it just, especially for MMA contexts. That is, grabs it to prevent Nate Diaz from moving. Switches here, right? Because the the initial left leg is just behind the knee. Switches to get the uh, excuse me, the right leg. The right leg's just one more time. The right leg's behind the knee. He's controlling the ankle. Switches, puts inside here. Grabs the ankle, puts him over. Rotates, comes on top. I mean, you can say what you want about the second round. That's sophisticated guard play. All right. But things, of course, take a very, very bad turn in the second round. Let's take a look at that now. All right. So here we are, just three seconds into the 
uh, second round. And what do you see McGregor doing? McGregor's walking forward, hands down, of course, but doesn't pay for it here. And you see Diaz is about to lateral to his left. Now, most of the time, Diaz was actually circling to his right, uh, right into the power hand. McGregor doesn't like it when they don't circle into the power hand, so what does he do? You can see how Diaz has begun to lateral. Look, look, look on McGregor's face. He recognizes it. And I'm going to zoom in on a couple of these here. He sees it as Diaz circles away. One more time. And he throws that spinning back kick. Now, this is a technique I believe Jack Slack was the first to identify. Conor McGregor wants you to circle into his left. Why? Because he's left-handed and he's got that big power. We've already talked about how much of his offense runs through his left. But the key here is... If he can't, one of his techniques for corralling you is he throws the spinning back kick as you move away from his left to get you to go back into it. And you can see he doesn't land it here, but of course, what does Diaz do afterwards? He goes back to his left, or he goes back circling into the left of McGregor. So here we are, 409, second round. Diaz kind of leaning over that front, baiting McGregor to, 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 to fire. Let's see what happens. As he circles to his left, McGregor slips the, the left hand of Diaz and cracks him clean. So even early in that second round, you know, you go back and watch this at 406 of the first round. I just want you to notice something. You know, as Diaz circles to his left, remember, but we started the round Diaz circling to his uh excuse me. We started the round with Diaz circling to his own left. McGregor didn't like it, wanted him to circle to his left, throws the spinning back kick, and Diaz complies. But as he complies, McGregor just catches him in, in space and and Nails him with a beautiful left. This is just beautiful timing. Um, yeah, he's just... McGregor's striking is effortless and fluid, but that doesn't mean there aren't problems to it. But this is one of the good pieces of it. He really has just really great reaction and timing on these kinds of things. So we move to 240. You see him leaning right. Now, what did we talk about before? When he leans right, he's gonna probably going to throw the overhand left. When he leans left, he likes to throw the uppercut. Now, he could be faking him out here. Let's see what's going to happen, but just something to pay attention to. All right? Then Sorry, y'all. Let's look at this real quick. He kind of comes up straight, and then what happens? Boom. Fakes him out, throws that lead hand uppercut. Now, it's interesting to note here, we go back. just want to point out something real quick, if I can, without mucking this up. Nope, I still mucked it up. He, he leans one way, comes back the other, and what happens? Diaz is expecting either that overhand left or that uppercut, and he'll put both of his hands up in front of his face like his guard. So when McGregor sees that, he splits the guard with a lead hand uppercut. This is an effective use of his right hand. I've been talking about the fact that he doesn't use his right hand very much, and that's still very much true. But this was one really good example where he was able to do that. Um, he got Diaz looking at the left, really worried about it, couldn't tell if the overhand or the uppercut was going to come from the rear side, and just decided to split his guard up the middle with the right. Very nice job by Conor McGregor in this particular instance. But you know what? The tide is beginning to turn. McGregor's beginning to tire, and you can see, look, he's standing square at this point to Diaz. Probably not the best idea. You can see his hands are down. Look at Nate's hands. They're not right on his chin, but they're much more shoulder level. McGregor's are waist level, and he's standing square. That That is not good body language. Okay? And remember, in credit to Nate Diaz, I haven't been showing a lot of it, but he's been landing his individual shots, too. He's been landing that check right hook I've been showing over and over and over again. Again, it wasn't able to build momentum with it necessarily, but he's been pot-shotting him. He's been jabbing him, too. The jab of Nate Diaz was definitely part of this fight as well. So, um, got to give credit where credit is due. 
So now let's look here real quickly. This is where things begin to go real bad for McGregor. 223. You see McGregor, he kind of wants to lean. What happens is Diaz just likes the timing and likes where McGregor is at. So he just fires a 1-2. This is the one, the right hand. And it pops McGregor. As McGregor, now McGregor, what he tries to do is he tries to slip to the outside, but he's just too slow and he can't get it. And so, bang, he ends up eating the right hand, if I may. Sorry about this, y'all. Boom, that's the one, two. Throws the one, throws the second. And look at McGregor's hand, just down the whole time. Even when we go back, just down the whole time. Uh, I'm going to blow this up again. Down. This is 223, down. Diaz fires the shot, down. That's bad. And then you see this, and that, when you know, is the beginning of the end. He is off-balanced, he is wobbled, and look at Nate Diaz. He's almost flexing like a guy taking Instagram pictures in the mirror after chest day. Um, this this is where things become unraveled. When, as soon as McGregor begins to tire, this is when you see the strategy of his defense, the trunk movement, the slipping. It doesn't work. McGregor doesn't like, it seems, to keep his hands up. I'm not saying because it, you know it's... Maybe because he thinks it's predictable. Maybe because he thinks it's old school. I don't know. My guess is he likes to keep his options open. So by slipping, he can easily launch into another attack. But what winds up happening is when you get tired and your only defense for punching is slipping and trunk movement and you know man- maneuvering distance, you're in trouble when you get tired. And this is exactly what you see here. And again, in credit to Nate Diaz, chipping away at him the whole time. So then we move on. 118, he lands a shot. You see this? Nice jab. Uh, where are McGregor's hands? They're down. And then the 1-2 comes right behind it. Boom. That 1-2 for Nate Diaz. Such an effective weapon. You see McGregor try to counter it, but who's first? Nate Diaz is first. And McGregor's just slow to react at this point. Where are McGregor's hands? They're always down. His hands are always down. So now we have a sense. Let's see. At 114, uh, McGregor's still slipping a little bit. But what happens here is he's he's reeling, and he's kind of backing up a little bit. Nate Diaz is coming forward. This is McGregor timing the shot. So now he's timed the shot, and he's going to level change, and he's going to go right into Nate Diaz. All right, that's what he's going to do. And I'm going to try and show this without messing this up too badly. Okay, here we go. So he shoots on Nate Diaz. This is a terrible shot. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. And I bet you if you talk to Conor McGregor, he'd say the exact same thing. Why is this a terrible shot? Well, he timed it well. For being as tired as he did. Nate Diaz is coming forward. He waited for a punch. He slipped the punch and then shot. In that sense, it's pretty good. Look at that left knee. Let me just say something right now. If you are on your knees and you are shooting, your takedown is going nowhere. It is going nowhere quickly. you got to be on your feet and your feet have to be moving. Both of those things have to be true. Even if you're on your feet, the double won't work. Unless you're you know changing direction. Moving your feet constantly. Go back and you watch how George St. Pierre took down Tiago Alves. He catches a hole behind the knee like that. But what he would do is uh, he would go for a double. And as soon as Alves would recognize it, he would pull St. Pierre off his hip. St. Pierre is anticipating that. So he would switch to a knee tap. But the whole time, St. Pierre's feet are moving. It's amazing. So now things are getting to get beginning to get bad. Here's McGregor. Now you're going to watch. He steps up on that left foot finally, but it looks like he's going to sit through. I can't tell if he's trying to sit through maybe for a peek out or a switch or because he feels like the guillotine is coming. It's not exactly clear, so I can't say for sure on that particular case, but you see him begin to motion for a sit out, at least for the time being. And then we zoom in here. You can see now he's on that knee. 
And he's almost on his hip because his foot is off the ground, but you can see the hands of Nate Diaz are beginning to get around the the, the uh, neck. At this point, if he was going for a sit-out, he's not anymore. He's just going to go back down to avoid any kind of uh, choke from Nate Diaz. So we keep motioning. Now, you see Nate Diaz is going to fall to his hip. He's locking up his grip. You can see, look at the hand of Nate Diaz. That is all the way around the neck already. That's Nate Diaz's left hand right here. Yikes. All right? We keep going. Now, interestingly, McGregor reads it, right? Because if you have a guillotine on someone, what do you want to do? You want to jump to the opposite side of the body to avoid being choked. So in that sense, McGregor anticipates it and jumps. And that's real smart. Here's the problem. The problem is you're going against Nate Diaz. And when you go against Nate Diaz, well, it doesn't work so well for you a lot of the time. Uh, The reason why is because of this. That bottom foot. You see that bottom foot? That bottom foot, you can say, well, that, that's what stopped McGregor. That is what stops McGregor. This is what, this is what prevents him from getting all the way around. You want to be on the all the way the other side. Diaz knows that when McGregor gets the guillotine locked up, he's going to jump to the other side. Diaz saves himself with this inside hook because he is super, super crafty. And this is where things just begin to go real badly for old Conor McGregor. Look at this. You still have that inside hook. I think this is right. right? My timing is off. No, this is right. Uh, and so he begins to, I believe he's going to raise his base here. Yep. So this is the way you you attack this, right? Um, you want to get this hook off of you, but you can't do that if, you're, let's say, your knees are on the ground. So what McGregor does is he lifts his base in the air. He puts his rear end in the air, and that's how you can begin to put pressure down on the shoulders of someone in a different position, and then you can clear that hook. The problem is he's getting choked, and so he doesn't have the ability to put the pressure down the shoulders. But he does the right thing. Even if you're getting guillotined from guard, you want to put your rear end in the air. But raising your base will allow you to clear this hook. But you can see Nadia's kind of scissors him here a little bit, kind of clamps down inside and outside, and he's going to roll him over. Just like that. See that inside-outside right here? He's going to roll him over. Now, McGregor's going to anticipate it. What McGregor's going to want to do is not merely go back down, but roll through all the way. All the way through, he's going to go his back down, and then he's going to want to come to his base. That's key to get the whole motion down. Look how deep that choke is. Look how Nate Diaz doesn't even can't even see, and doesn't matter. He could do this with his eyes closed. So now we go. Check this out. Look at how deep that choke is, son. You are in super bad shape here. We keep moving. Now McGregor tries to do that roll through. He did it on Chad Mendez as well. The problem is it was slow. I think Diaz knew it was coming, and here's the difference. Diaz lets go of the choke and then catches him here. This stops this arm. Uh, f- this arm blocks the shoulder from rotating through. Now, you'll see why that's important in just a second. I mean, it's, you can tell already that it prevents the full roll of McGregor to get to his base, but it's more important than that in just a second. So now we have side control, and he's locked it up. But I want you to see something here, a subtle difference between this, look, first of all, Nate Diaz is on his toes because he's an elite level black belt and every single fine detail is always correct with him. Look at that. Now he gets off his toes here, but what does he do? He moves in tight. Look, closes off all that space. You see that? That is pretty nice. Closes off all that space. So now he's real tight on McGregor. And this is where things go from bad to worse. Check this out. All right. Now look at this. He is about to pass. You see, I mean, that is the face of a person in distress. 
Diaz, I've told you this in jiu-jitsu a thousand times. If you're going to change something and move a certain way, you have to replace things. You can't just lift your hands or lift your feet and go to that. You have to kind of do it in stages where if you're going to remove a hand, you put the other hand there first, then you take it away. What you're going to see Diaz do is he's not just going to try and mount like a, like he's going to you know get on a horse. He's going to put pressure down with the elbow before he brings that rear knee up like that. You see that? Now, McGregor, that's his hand right here. McGregor's trying to stop it. You see him try to bring his knee inside to prevent Nate Diaz from getting that down, but it's a little bit too late. I mean, also, Diaz still has that arm underneath, that sort of reverse underhook to prevent McGregor uh, from doing a whole lot of you know occupying the space and blocking it. And now it begins to come down, but Diaz can't quite take full mount here. I mean, he can, but it's a little bit weird. But what you're going to see is McGregor's going to try and roll through. You see that? He's going to try and roll to one side. Now, Diaz has his base here, and he's kind of controlling, and that knee's coming down, so McGregor's in a bad spot. But you know, what's the best way to have someone if you're in mount? You want the person underneath to have their hips and their shoulders flat to the mat. That's the, that's their worst-case scenario. So watch what Diaz does here. I mean, this is like, this is just someone so effortless in this position. I've talked so many times about mount being a lost art, and it is in MMA. But then you see guys like this, and again, McGregor's very, very tired, but, you know... It's one thing for McGregor to be tired, and it's another thing for Diaz to still make all the right decisions. So what does Diaz do? Diaz brings his foot to the ground. Look before. Now his right foot is off the, is, you know, his toes are touching, but his knee is down. He changes his base a little bit. He brings his right heel tight to the hips of McGregor. So he's occupying this space here. He's not letting McGregor get his elbow inside. Or anything. He's taking up all that space real nice and tight. And then he's driving his right hand all the way to the ground. Literally, he's like punching the ground. He could do a push-up here if he needed to, if his foot was on the other side, if he wanted to. That's how much force he's putting there. McGregor can't roll anymore. He can't move. He can't lean to that left side. He can only go one direction. A lot of times in jiu-jitsu, guys will put you in spots to make you make a choice to either roll one way or the other. And then sometimes they'll put you in a spot where they know you can only go one way. This is what he's doing. He's not merely stopping McGregor from trying to go one way. He's essentially saying, I'm going to hold you in position because I know once I do, you're going to be faced with no other choice but to go the other side. Once he stops this from motioning, and he probably feels McGregor let up on it, right? At some point, you can feel McGregor leaning, but I bet once he drove that down... He could feel McGregor get weak, and that's when he decides to lift his hand. Look at his knee, touching the shoulder of McGregor. The heel is not quite inside the hip anymore, but it's okay because he makes a fast transition. This leg is still occupying the space in the chest. Now, McGregor's trying a little bit, you know. His, his shoulder blades, at least his right one's off the mat. He's making some effort, but it's just not going to be enough. And watch what Diaz does here. Now, he, he has to punch on this side because he's planted on the left. Right, so in other words, the right hand has to do the work here. The right hand was the one that was controlling McGregor with that sort of inside underhook. But I want you to note how he punches him to hammer him flat, a la Chris Weidman being punched by Luke Rockhold when they fought at UFC 194. Bang! Look at that. And then his knee is sort of almost like a neon belly kind of thing uh, because it's occupying the space and it's controlling him and giving him just enough push on McGregor to stop him from rolling to his left so that he can bring his right hand out and hammer this joker flat. And now this is this is when uh, Diaz begins to close the show. So now he's in mount. 
Now McGregor knows he can't roll left, so what does he do? He rolls to his right. And he's bridging, but he's not, I mean, he's sort of bridging here. His hips are off the mat, but it's not like he's completely on, the, you know, his head or something like a real bridge would be, a, or, you know, really the tip. I mean, he's kind of on the tip of his shoulder, but he's more just almost on the side. It's not the same. Diaz reads it, and what's Diaz going to do? He's going to launch the rear naked choke from the right side. Why is he going to launch the rear naked choke from the right side? Very obviously, because McGregor's arm isn't there to fight it. If he tries to launch it from the left side, he could he could change he could he could replant his weight if he wanted to. He could put his right hand down and try to choke, but that arm you can see is kind of pressing Diaz away. If Diaz switched his base a little bit put his right hand down, his left hand up, McGregor would be able to hand fight it much easier. When a guy rolls like that, you always slip in on the same side where they have nothing to defend, which, of course, he does, as you can see right there. Where's the hand? Now, McGregor's going to get his hand up a little bit in here, but the arm is, is stopped by McGregor's own weight and body position. This is where it just goes from bad to worse. So you see Diaz slip it in, and he can't get it all the way through it. He could probably have finished him here. By the way, he's flattened him out. I mean, look at, look at McGregor's legs. I mean, he's doing like a dolphin behind him. Okay, what, is, what does Diaz do? He punches so he can slide all the way through. You see that? Before 55, hammers him with a shot. At 55, he sneaks it through, and that's when he does the choke. Now, interesting to something to note here, when he launches the choke, why doesn't he stay flat on his back like, like this, like his hips facing the mat? Well, the reason why, you see Diaz touches the mat with his forehead. You see that? Because he's closing off the very space McGregor has to hand fight. That's why. That doesn't mean McGregor couldn't hand fight. It's just another wrinkle to make hand fighting harder. I want you to also notice something too. Now, I'm not saying McGregor couldn't hand fought and peeled this out, but Diaz doing the exact same thing that Misha Tate did, not to the same extent, she really had it in, where um, he's biting, or he's not biting down, but he's chinning down on the hand. Ideally, you would want this hand so far behind the head that peeling literally would not even be physically possible. It is still physically, like technically I'm putting air quotes up, it is still possible here, but McGregor just taps because you can see he is in uh, extraordinary discomfort at this point um, because that choke is tight. Now, again, you would want this the back of the hand to be behind the back of McGregor, but you know, look, you get choked real tight, you're already damaged and beat up. And probably not all there. It's it's you know you're not going to have all your wits about you. So um, Diaz slapped it on quickly too, right? You know the quicker you can apply a choke, the more you can just play speed chess with someone and overwhelm them with your own offensive momentum. And that's what happens here. And then of course Diaz. This is I mean look at that. That is. Have you ever been that cool in your life? Because I know I haven't. That is amazing. So I just want to point out here, like Diaz. You know, I don't think McGregor was all himself here. You know, he's shooting, obviously, right? We go back. You know, you see it. Look, you see this terrible shot he's got going on here on his knees. Blah, 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 blah. Rose him. But it's these finer details like this inside hook here that stops McGregor. McGregor tries to counteract, goes to his base, or, you know, raises his base in the air. But he gets turned. He gets rolled. He goes over, tries to come up. And he's just a step behind every time. That's the problem. In a grappling exchange, if you're the one initiating, if you're the one controlling, if you're the one doing things first and then forcing them to catch up to it, chances are you're going to win, especially if there's a skill differential on the ground and an energy differential to, to, to make things even worse, which is exactly what you found here. Diaz stops him, closes the space off, goes back, pushes down on the head before he brings the knee up. McGregor tries to stop it. Doesn't really work. Diaz takes the full right knee to the ground and to prevent McGregor from coming over, 
drives that fist all the way down, brings his heel to the inside. He could have sat for an armbar here, by the way. That was also an option to him as well. And McGregor probably went down uh, to his right maybe to prevent that as well because you can easily just swing this over and step for the armbar, and it's and, and it's there for you. It would be a different kind of finish. <coughs> Pardon me, but you could do it. Brings the knee over just to occupy the space and prevent him from rolling. Hammers him flat. Takes the position. McGregor rolls. Puts the choke in on the correct side. Can't get it through, so he punches. Squeezes it through. Locks it up. And then leans to the side to prevent hand fighting as much as possible to finish the choke and really give it that squeeze on the same one. Um, Nasty, nasty job by this guy, Nate Diaz, in what is incontestably the biggest win of his career. And last but not least, uh, what's coming up next? Here is the good news. I don't believe there is any MMA event this next weekend. Now, you have 152 for uh, Bellator. That's not till April 16th. And you've got UFC Fight Night Mir versus Hunt. That's not till March 20th. So let's see when the next World Series of Fighting is, because I don't think that's coming up very soon either. March 12th, I guess. Yeah, no. So I guess it's World Series of Fighting March 12th. Uh, Gaethje versus Foster. That should be fun. Uh, Megamed uh, Babulatov, he's tough, versus Tyson Nam, Josh Copeland, Mike Hayes, Corey Devala, Devella, excuse me, versus Luis Taylor, and then Josh Cavan versus Chris Hokum. Uh, so, so three good fights on that card. Uh, but that's it, and that'll take place at the Bank of Colorado Arena in Greeley, Colorado. All right. Well, that's it. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Please give this video a like and a share if you can. I, I, thank you so much. Subscribe to MMA Fighting's videos. And remember, tomorrow, a whole podcast on Home versus Tate. Thank you so much for watching the Monday Morning Analyst. Stay tuned for the Tuesday Morning Analyst for Holm vs. Tate. I'm Luke Thomas. This is MMA Fighting. Enjoy the fights.